The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 8. We are working our way through Romans 8. We're looking at verses 3 and 4 this morning. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 4 just to kind of set the context. Paul writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We talked about these two things, that that Paul uses these two phrases, the law of the Spirit of life and the law of sin and death, to refer to two powers that work within humanity. One has to do with the the power of the Spirit. This is kind of like the, the law of gravity. It's a law that works. It has power to it. And he's talking about the power of the Spirit and the power of the flesh to control us. And, and we sometimes call this the sin nature. It's never called that in Scripture, but what we're talking about is indwelling sin. And so he says, what the law could not do, weak as it was, through the flesh. What he means by that is the law is wonderful. It, it uh, tells us what we ought to do. It tells us what righteousness is. But the problem is we have flesh. We have this power of flesh at work in our selves, and there are times when trying to obey the law is impossible for us. And so he says, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. So what did God do that the law could not do? He says, God did this, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now notice that, not in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came as a real human being. They couldn't tell the difference between the way he looked and the way his fellow human beings looked in this world. But he, w- he was coming in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that, and condemning sin in the flesh is what he's talking about back up in verse 1. He's talking about justification. He uh, condemned sin in the flesh, which meant that he justified us. He judged sin in us so that we are free from it. In order that the requirement, or quite literally, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those two expressions are describing the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. The believer walks in the power of the spirit. He walks according to the spirit, whereas the unbeliever walks according to the flesh. But uh, all of us know that we have this tendency from time to time to experience what it's like to have the mindset of the flesh. And so uh, people wonder what's, what's wrong with us. I want you to turn with me to Exodus if you would, for just a second. Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus 20, you have the law of God being given through Moses to his people. And what you have here in in chapter 20 are the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a summary of the whole law. There are over 600 different commandments in the law. But these, these Ten Commandments are the ones that summarize the whole And listen to what he says. If you look at chapter 20, you can see in verse 3, you have the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment in verse 4, you shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. The third commandment is found in verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. The fourth commandment is in verse 8, 
remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And they kept the Sabbath because God, when he finished his work of creation, rested on the seventh day. And so it was a day that was considered holy and they were to rest on the seventh day. The seventh day, of course, is Saturday. He says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord. Now, Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. We rest in Christ. And this is what the book of Hebrews tells us. We have come to rest in Jesus Christ, not just on the seventh day, but all the time. Our rest is in Christ Jesus. And then down in verse 12, you have the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land. Talking about the promised land that they were being taken into. Your days will be may be prolonged in the, the, the promised land which the Lord your God gives you. And then the sixth commandment is in verse 13. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Is the seventh in verse 14. In the 15th, in chapter, in verse 15, you have the eighth commandment. You shall not steal. In verse 16, you have the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And in the, in verse 17, you have the 10th commandment. This is the one that Paul said, I did pretty good until I got to the last commandment. And this is the last commandment. You shall not covet, which means you shall not crave after anything that is not yours. One of the problems we have as creatures in this world is that we don't love God but as much as we love his creation. We love his creation. We seek after his creation more than we do him. There's so many things in his creation that we want, we want to possess, but uh, we're not as committed. And this is what we are told several times in the word of God. This is one of the problems that we have. We think we love God, but we actually love his creation more than we love God. Let's turn back to, to Romans. Romans chapter 8, in uh, verses 3 and 4. For what the law, and that was the law I just read to you, the Ten Commandments, which is a, a summary of the over 600 commandments that were given to the children of Israel. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. What was weak about the law? It's a perfect law. God created it. But what is weak is our flesh. Isn't it amazing how the, the law, when I read those commandments, they actually incite us to want to say, I don't, I don't agree with that. God gave them these commandments, but we, it's weak. The, the law is weak because of our sinfulness. God, he says, for the, what the law could not do, weak as it was, God did. What did God do? God did what the law could not do. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. The law couldn't do that, but God could, and he did it. And then in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You have a little handout in your uh, bulletin. And it has these three, these three points on it. And that is, the, the, the title of the sermon is, What is it that the law can't do and that God did? The first is, the law can't remove our condemnation. It can't justify us. Now, justification is a big word, and it's one of the primary doctrines of Christianity. Uh, justification means when God declares a person to be absolutely righteous in his eyes because they simply put their trust in Jesus Christ. A person who puts their trust in Christ is said to have been justified by God. He declares them to be absolutely right with him. Now, the law couldn't do that because we break the law. 
We violate the law, but what God has done is he has declared us to be righteous because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. He imputes our sin to Christ and, and Christ's righteousness to us. That's called the great exchange by some. And, and we're told this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. If you remember, it says, God made him who knew no sin. He made him who knew no sin. And he's talking in the context. This is God who is doing this. God counts his son who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, that's, that's called the great exchange, that all, that all the sin in our life was imputed to Christ and all of his righteousness was imputed to us. And so we stand righteous before God. Now, this isn't fair. It's what God has done. God has declared every believer to be right with him. And a lot of times we look at somebody who says they're righteous and that they are justified and we get a little bit jealous. We think, wait a minute, I think I'm a little bit better than you. I think I'm, I'm more careful about the way I live and the things I do and the, the commandments of Scripture. Why are you considered to be righteous? The same reason you are, not because you keep the commandments, but because you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's why you're righteous. A person is righteous not because they've obeyed all the rules. They're righteous in the eyes of God because they have rested their faith in Jesus Christ. I've said this over and over again. There's nothing that you can receive from God through merit. You can't deserve anything you receive from him. The only way you can receive anything from God is by faith. It's trust. He makes you a promise and you believe it. Remember the Philippian jailer in Acts 16 when uh, Paul and Silas were in jail and there was an earthquake and all the doors flew open. Well, a jailer, a person who was responsible to keep these prisoners in the jail, if they were to escape, they would kill him. It was a brutal kind of law, wasn't it? If, if they got away, he was the dead man. And so Paul hears that he is very upset. He thinks all the doors have flown open and everybody's left. And so he's really worried about it. And so Paul says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And then the jailer says this to Paul and Silas. What must I do to be saved? And you wonder, why would he ask this? Because he had heard the message that Paul had been preaching in this city, in Philippi. And so he sees the evidence that this is a supernatural relationship that God has with the living God. And so he says to him, so what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Now that's grace. That is you simply believing on Christ, putting your trust in Christ, and you receive salvation. You receive forgiveness and a declaration that you are a righteous person in the eyes of God. Amazing. This is, this is what grace is all about. Unmerited favor. Everything that God gives you. We're told in, in uh, Romans chapter 5 that we are ensphered in grace. Now what it says is we are in grace. We've been, we've been moved over into grace. So we're in grace. Well, that means we're ensphered in it. Right? All of God's dealings with the believer is based upon grace. And what is grace? Grace is God giving himself to you freely. God freely gives of himself to you. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you receive righteousness. And so we became righteous in the eyes of God when we simply put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because of what he had done. He had come into the world. He, God sent his son into the world. And he took our place. He became a curse for us. 
And he suffered the penalty of my sin. And when that message came to me and I believed it, I was declared righteous. We know each other pretty well, don't we? And we recognize that we're not the holiest instrument in the drawer, are we? And yet, what he says is, we have been declared righteous by God. Now, he also says in verse uh, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. He's talking about these working principles. The, the working principle of the spirit of Jesus Christ has, sets us free in our Christian life from the law of sin and death. I don't have to be dominated by the power of sin in my life because of what Christ has done. And that's what he's talking about here. This is sanctification. It means doing the right for God. This is harder than being a righteous person with a sign of righteousness over your record. Maybe you have a little plaque and you you put in that little plaque that I was born again on October the 4th, 1943, and so now you are a righteous person. But what about when it comes to I've been sanctified? God is sanctifying me. In fact, we're told in Romans chapter 6 that the way that we are sanctified on a daily basis is when the very fruit of the Spirit of God is being produced in us, and it's changing us. It's absolutely transforming us, changing us. And so what the law could not do, weak as it was, was it, couldn't, it could not justify you. It couldn't remove your condemnation. That is the judgment against you. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Secondly, it couldn't conquer the flesh. It couldn't sanctify you. It couldn't empower you to do what is right. The, the law can't. The third thing is, and most important of all, it cannot give the Son glory for these two glorious works, sanctification and justification. And what, what God wanted to do, he, wanted, he had a plan that he wanted his Son to be glorified for our justification and our sanctification. The Christian gospel proclaims that you can be absolutely right in the eyes of God by simply putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Guess who gets the glory? It's not you. It's Jesus Christ. You see? Now, if it was the law that made you righteous, you keep the law and you're righteous, then who would get the glory? You. But you haven't kept the law. And you think, well, you're, how do you know that? Because the Bible says no one can keep the law. We keep breaking the law. And yet God has declared us righteous. We are guilty before God and we deserve condemnation and we are rebellious against God and we love his creation more than we love him. You think, what makes you think that? Well, this is what makes me think that. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. For they, talking about human beings, exchanged the truth of God for the lie. What's the lie? Here's the lie. That they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So that's the lie of Satan. This is Satan's lie. He taught he, tried, he convinced Adam and Eve that the most important thing they could do was to worship the creature himself rather than the creator, God. God has said, do not eat of this tree. And Satan says, you can eat of the tree if you want. He, God just doesn't want you to know what he knows. And so he convinced them to sin against God. And it plunged the race into this condition that we're in. And so... Uh, what, we, what we don't want to do is to exchange the truth of God for the lie and to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. 
Now, if you stop and think about your life, what is it that you love the most? Well, unfortunately, a lot of times we, it becomes obvious to us that the thing I love the most are the things that God created, and I want them. And you say, well, he didn't create money. Well, he created value, and that value was turned into by certain groups into money. So it's the same thing. If I love those things more than I love God, then I don't understand who God is. Now get this, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14, verse 14, it says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification, me being transformed and me being affected by the power of the spirit in my life so that I do the right instead of the wrong. And he says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. You want to see the Lord? Then he says, part of your Christian life is going to be you growing in sanctification. In other words, God, this isn't salvation by works. It's, it's enjoying the gift that God has given you and actually experiencing the, the power of the Spirit working in us, the, the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ working in us so that we actually wholeheartedly obey his will. Now, we don't do that every day. We don't do that all the time. You ever have a bad day where at the end of the day you felt like, what a slime bug I am. Man alive, I can't believe I live like that, that I, I told that lie or that I treated that person that way. I can't believe it. Well, what's happening? We haven't been perfected yet, but we are in the process of being sanctified by the living God, and he is preparing us to live in his presence. Now, to, fir- to fix the first problem, God turns away from the law and he turns to Christ. How could a person ever be justified? How could any person ever be declared righteous? Only because of Jesus Christ. So God turns away from the law and he turns to Christ. And he takes away our condemnation by condemning Christ in our place. Isn't that amazing? He condemns Christ in our place so that we could receive this removal of condemnation and we're declared righteous in the eyes of God. This is called substitutionary atonement. It's Jesus standing in the place of another and paying for their sin and making them right with God when they trust him. So he didn't, God didn't send us to the law for justification or sanctification. He sent us to Christ. It's only Christ who can give us those two things. He can give us justification and he can give us sanctification. This is the liberating work of the the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In Christ, God has already condemned sin, and he makes it clear that the law cannot accomplish what God is accomplishing by sending his Son into this world. Christ came into the world to do what the law could not do, because it was weak through the flesh. If I was to say to you, "I I have an offer for you, and here's the offer. If you will keep the law perfectly, you will have eternal life. Now, I'd hope you would all say, you're crazy. You can't make that offer. Only God can do that, and God hasn't done that. But see, what we have come to understand is that Jesus Christ became a substitutionary curse bearer, and my curse was placed upon him, and his righteousness was placed upon me. The law can't give the Son the glory for justification and sanctification. If the law was able to sanctify and glorify a person and justify them, then you would get the credit because you kept the law perfectly. 
I just read you the Ten Commandments, but there are over six, there's about 613 different laws that were given by God to his people. And let me tell you, you couldn't get to the third without saying, I've broken that law. Well, it's too late for you then, except God has another plan. And that plan is to save you by you simply putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Listen to Romans 5, verses 20 and 21. It says, the law came in so that the transgression would increase. What? God gave the law so that the transgression would increase? But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You know where that's at? You know when that happened? When uh, sin increased to the point that grace increased? It's called the cross of Jesus Christ. You probably saw it in the movie. Some movie that has been made about the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he goes on and he says in verse 21 in Romans 5, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ our Lord. So God's purpose is to sanctify us in a way that the credit goes to Jesus Christ. I know some of you pretty well, and I know that, God, that Jesus Christ receives all the glory for your life. I mean, I see Robin over there. She's one of the most wonderful people I've ever met, and most loving people I've ever met. And yet, all the glory belongs to Jesus Christ, because he's the one who's changed her. He's the one who's worked in her life and given her a love for people. Therefore, God calls us not to turn to the law for transformation, but to turn to the living Christ who worked for us in history and now he works for us by his spirit. It's Jesus Christ who receives all the glory and all the adulation for what he has done. Now imagine the the cross of Jesus Christ. This was called the greatest sin that man has ever committed, that they killed the Lord of glory. God sent him into the world to save people. And what they do to him? They killed him. They murdered him. They tortured him. Why? Why did God allow that? Well, what, have you ever, do you remember when uh, your, your fiancé bought you a ring, you ladies? Remember when he took you to the jeweler and they showed you the ring? Why did they put it on black velvet? Why did they do that? Because it shows its glory, doesn't it? Behind, in, in front of this black background, black velvet, it looks beautiful. This is what happened at the cross. It was a horrible day. It was a great sin. It was wretched. But you're not required to be angry about it because it was on that day that grace was displayed that was applied to your life when you believed on the Lord Jesus. And you came to have a relationship with God based upon simply faith in Christ. So God calls us not to turn to the law for transformation or for justification, but he calls us to turn to Christ, the living Christ. It's only when Christ himself wins our affections over all others that he'll get the glory that God planned. You know, God's funny this way. God the Father, he wants all the glory to go to his son. Isn't that amazing? He wants all the glory to go to his son. And so he keeps telling us all about what his son has done. His son came into the world in order to set us free. And he came into the world where the greatest, greatest crime that was ever committed was committed 
when man killed the Lord of glory and crucified him, tortured him, and hung him on a cross. The most wretched kind of death there is. But it's only when Christ himself wins our affections over all others that he gets the glory that God planned. When did you get saved? Well, you got saved, according to the Bible, you got saved when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you actually believed the testimony about him, that he's the Lord of glory and he came into the world and he suffered and died on your behalf. And if you put your trust in him, God would make you a member of his family and he would bless you abundantly beyond anything you could ever imagine. Christ did that. Why do we love Christ so much? We love him because of what he's done for us, the way he has loved us and what he has given us. What's the key to sanctification? It's walking according to the spirit, we're told in verse 4. It's walking according to the spirit. Now, the key is this. Walking according to the spirit is experiencing Christ's exalting love. Christ's exalting love. Loving Christ above everything else. You know, uh, something that bothers me about myself is that uh, I can have those periods of time when I just forget about how glorious he is. And I'm not moved by it. It doesn't grab my heart. It doesn't require me to get a handkerchief so that if I break down crying over the glory of Christ for me, that he came into this world to die for me. And he laid down his life for me so that I could be right with God. Walking in the spirit is experiencing Christ's exalting love. This is the most glorious fruit of being a Christian is when you're experiencing this on a daily basis, when you love Christ above all other things. Listen to this. This is in chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. It says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness to empower us to produce righteousness in our daily life. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, just like he gave life to the body of Christ when he raised him from the dead. He will give you life in this mortal life that we live in. You know what mortal means. It means you can die. Are you aware that you can die? You're probably aware of that. Most of us are old enough to know that it's not that far away. Huh? And we know that we could die. We have mortal bodies, and yet what he has done is he has given us the spirit to, to empower these mortal bodies to live and experience the love of Christ in our daily life. It's an amazing thing. Let me read to you chapter, Romans chapter 7, the chapter before we're looking at, but listen to this. This is verses 4 through 6. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined, you might be joined to, one another, to another, to him who was raised from the dead. That's Jesus, of course. In order that we might bear fruit for God. Having Christ living in you is often referred to the Spirit of Christ. It's talking about the Holy Spirit under the direction of Jesus Christ living in his people. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law, these commandments, I read you ten of them, those commandments that aroused us to sin. They were at work in members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. The letter he's talking about is the law. 
it says, thou shalt not. And when you first read it, you go, I can do that. You'll discover that the law of God will always be master over you because the letter kills, but the spirit makes alive. Now, if you want to love your enemies and not return evil for evil, which is what we're called to do, to have patience and kindness, if you want to be that, if you want to be bold and courageous in the cause of righteousness, if you want to endure hardship joyfully in service of the gospel and spread a passion for the supremacy of Jesus Christ, where do you go? Where do you turn to? Where do you get that kind of power? What do you have to go? You got to go take a special course or something? What is your focus and your passion? How do you fight for holiness and love and Christ-likeness? How do you pursue these things? Is the law the key that unlocks life for us so that we could love Christ like we ought to? If we turn to the law, if I get a copy of the law, you could probably get a copy of the whole law, 613 commandments, and put them in your pocket and carry them around and say, this is what I'm going to do today. The most important point Paul makes about the law in Romans is this. It has proved incapable of rescuing people from the domain of sin and death. It's absolutely useless in doing that. Clearly, law is not the key to unlock life, the life of love. Jesus is the answer. And guess what? Jesus is here. Jesus is here. I mean that. He's, he is wherever you're at. And when you turn to him and you fix your eyes on him, you have found the one who unlocks the lock of love. God will empower you to love him and to love his people and to love his father. And so this is why Paul says this. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he came as a, a substitute for us. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came and he took on a quality of humanity that he could actually experience death. Why would he do that? That'd be a bad design, wouldn't it? This eternal being is going to take on humanity so that he could die? Yes, exactly. Because he came to stand in our place and pay the price so that we could be set free. So that we could have not only justification, but also sanctification. There's a crucial truth in this passage. Unless you pursue obedience through loving and honoring Jesus. You get that? Unless you pursue loving Christ, loving the Father, by honoring Jesus, you won't get the transformation and he won't get the glory. Isn't it going to be something when you stand before Christ and you're going to be standing there and somebody's going to say, is this the one that has changed you? Is this the one, this Jesus, is he the one that transformed your life? Wouldn't that be a happy moment for you? Have you ever had somebody say that? You know, Christ has really had an impact on your life, hasn't he? One time in my life, I had a guy say to me, I was trying to share the gospel with him. He was a friend of my cousin's. And so I'm really working hard at trying to get him to listen to the gospel message. And he says to me, you really believe that, don't you? I thought that was the greatest thing anybody ever said to me about myself. Because I really do believe it. And I know you believe it. I know you believe that it's because of Christ that you are right with God. Not because you're such a good person, but because he's such a good savior. He's able to save even people like us. Isn't that great? And I, I want you to know, we're going to be looking at in, in these next few weeks, we're going to see how this power of God through Jesus Christ is working even today in us. He is continually working in us today. 
so that we can display the power and the glory and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He wants you, he has made you, rather I should say, he has made you to be a witness for the one who died for you. He has made you to bear witness to the truth of who Christ is. Let's pray. Our Father, we are humbled by this truth because we recognize that there's nothing in us that would have ever caused you to justify us and to sanctify us. And yet it's because of your son, because you sent your son and your son has come and he has begun to live in us and we rest in him. We thank you for that. And as we leave this place, we pray that you would Help us to open our mouths and declare the truth about Jesus Christ. Give us opportunity, Father, we pray today, to speak for him, to tell the truth about him. What a glorious Savior. I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know Christ, who's never experienced justification, having been declared by the living God to be absolutely righteous. If, no one's, if there's anyone here who's never experienced it, I pray that their hearts would be open. They would receive the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who's able to save and make whole and to keep. And we thank you for that. So we, praise you would, we pray that you would do that, Father. In the name and for the glory of your Son, we pray. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.